0: The quality of many people's local environment is, is, you know, found wanting in that regard, particularly around access to services, access to open space, walkability within neighbourhoods um, and walkable access to services. Now,
1: got... One of the big questions is, well, who can work from home and who decides who can work from home?
0: We so make... cannot
2: just say that, okay, digitalisation of workplace is a great idea. Let's do it, because we need to provide the basic infrastructure and the facilities that are required.
3: The way we work is increasingly reliant on digital technologies. The digital workforce has been slowly growing over the past several years, but with the catalyst of the pandemic, more people are working remotely, engaging in hybrid and flexible ways of working, than ever before. As I record this, I'm doing so from my home. My wardrobe, to be precise. You would be surprised by the studio quality of my clothing racks. And I'm not alone. In my wardrobe, yes, but not in my ability to work flexibly and from home. In this episode of Think Sustainability, we're talking about how the growing digital workforce is altering the way we plan and build our cities. What it might change about where and how we live, and who those new digital ways of working serve, and who they could harm. You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Sophie Ellis. You may think of the digital workforce as Zoom meetings and shared Google Docs, but this trend encompasses a wide range of industries and types of work.
1: Digital labour refers to uh, a really wide suite of different types of work. Quite often uh, at the moment it's being used to refer to uh, digital knowledge work, so any work that that can be undertaken through computers, so virtually and remotely, rather than having to be Uh, in a specific geographical uh, location.
3: That's David Bissell. David is a human geographer at the University of Melbourne, and he researches the changing relationship between people and place.
1: There's a wide spectrum of other types of work that could equally be referred to as digital work. So the gig economy uh, in, in cities, so things like Uber and Deliveroo and all of those new types of services that that we 're seeing springing up in in our cities uh, that are absolutely reliant on networks of connected mobile phones and algorithms that that drive uh, that drive both the workers and and consumers so even sectors that we traditionally associate with being very different uh, and very kind of not digital so things like mining for example are increasingly using AI and different types of autonomous developments. So yeah, so digital labour is certainly uh, a massive consideration uh, across a lot of different sectors at the moment, um, and it's very variable.
3: More people are participating in the digital workforce than ever before. This rapid change is something that's come out of necessity with the emergence of the pandemic. But as David explains, this influx of flexible and digital workers has an impact on the way our cities function.
1: Well, uh, it, it, it potentially involves all of us in terms of the effects that it has. So even if you don't work at all, um, no doubt you purchase things and you use different online services. So even consumers are using digital labour. What is particularly interesting at the moment is we're seeing a, a move from a lot of people who previously worked in office spaces in in pretty fixed geographical settings who are now working from home because uh because of the the pandemic and because workplaces have be- become a lot more open and accommodating so increasingly we're seeing digital labor being undertaken by by people who previously weren't uh, weren't doing digital labour who, who wouldn't have seen themselves uh, under that umbrella and that's posing some really really interesting conundrums for for our cities uh, not just in terms of our relationships with our employers but also our relationships with place too.
3: With new types of workers able to do their job remotely, many city and suburban dwellers are now seeking new modes of housing. For many, working from home has opened up new opportunities to live in regional or peri-urban areas. As the nature of our working lives change, so too do our housing needs.
0: My name's Andrew Butter. I'm an Associate Professor of Sustainability and Urban Planning at RMIT University in Melbourne.
3: Andrew specialises in land use and population change in regional areas. He explains that the increasing number of people who are part of the digital workforce has seen a rise in people moving away from cities in favour of regional areas.
0: Then suddenly along comes a pandemic and uh, there's scope scope and normalisation of the fact that people might work anywhere. So there's underlying trends, of course, that have been occurring along the way yeah, sure, people are willing to sort of think about their work as being stretched, their commutes as being stretched, people negotiating kind of working from home arrangements that might be sort of some of the week or all of the week. And then suddenly a pandemic comes along and normalizes a lot of things that were just um, edge trends previously. I suppose the interesting thing to think about when we talk about things like tree change or move to the country sort of concepts, they've been around for a while, but they've also had friction against them through the decisions of, of the sort of um, the growth areas of the economy, service sector areas of the economy, which have, have been predominantly focused on agglomerations around a few places like Central Sydney or Central Melbourne or even you know, newer locations like Parramatta or whatever it might be, but, but around fewer locations. Um, yet, by their very nature, it's work that can be dispersed.
3: Like many experts, Andrew says it's still too early to tell if the movement of people from urban to regional areas will continue its current course. Regardless of the continuity of this trend, the digital workforce will continue to reshape our cities, and in doing so, it will inevitably reshape the relationships between cities and regions.
0: The infrastructure challenges that this presents, if this is a real trend in change, it suggests that much of the sort of modelling and expectations of, of growth in those locations and infrastructure deficits in those locations are greater than what we've assumed they are. But equally, the, the converse might be that some of the infrastructure investments we're making in cities under the assumptions of large uh, metropolitan growth, particularly driven by international immigration, are possibly overestimates of what we need. Although I suspect probably we're in such a deficit after uh, two decades of really high growth in Australia that we're we're unlikely to catch up with either of those in a hurry. But it does suggest a reset, if you like, of the expectation of infrastructure being about connectivity only to the city, usually in Australian context, building um, freeway connections into cities. Um, rather, it might be about building quality infrastructure within smaller cities, thinking about The internal relationships in those places, which we haven't done in a long time in Australia, we have assumed that metropolitan primacy, if you like, means that all those places are to do is to be connected to the metropolitan city rather than thinking about investments and connections within them.
3: As Andrew describes, with the possibility of working remotely, many Australians are able to turn their regional aspirations into a reality. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, a net 43,000 Australians left the city life behind for regional areas in 2020. This is the largest influx to the regions Australia has seen in the last 20 years.
0: So many of Australia's smaller towns have the qualities we want uh, and people are looking to go and live in those places because of those qualities. But equally, population pressures mean that many of those qualities will be under threat, so people will be quite nervous about them
3: the slower pace, smaller population and greater access to green space. These are just some of the qualities that are attracting people to make the regional move. But Andrew says if planning decisions don't properly consider diversity of housing in this growth, we may see these qualities compromised.
0: And we know there's lots of small towns and medium cities where the diversity of housing and the provision of things like affordable and social housing are just very poor. Uh, And so... Housing diversity is probably one of the key challenges. We, If we, we build on a kind of suburban model in, in locations like, you know, smaller towns in the coast, we'll end up with a situation where we're not providing the sort of housing people want. Um, and we're also investing in housing, which is very energy dependent. Um, now, of course, there's going to be people who can sell a house in Sydney and buy a ideal dream home with a view of the coast and everything else. But the lack of affordable housing and the lack of diverse housing means that really, in many of those places, we're not going to get the sort of population mix which the economies of those locations rely on.
3: The growth of regional areas as a result of the digital workforce can be seen as an opportunity to decentralise our cities to create places that are not just fulfilling the overflow of residential growth in cities, but spaces that present new ways of living. This is something both Andrew Butt and David Bissell agree on.
0: Up till now, even the growth in regional, smaller regional cities on the sort of, you know, the networks of cities outside of larger metropolitan regions like Sydney or south-east Queensland or Melbourne – have usually been about simply their role as another sort of form of residential growth, where people would travel long distances. So, if if we can start to reimagine what they, how they operate as sort of separate types of places, we can probably overcome some of that thinking.
1: I think that I think what's what what's come out of this move, especially towards um, towards people being a little bit more localized in their communities is that we can actually have conversations around infrastructure development uh, at the community level, so individual communities can start thinking about the sorts of facilities and services that they want to see that will sustain uh, and enrich them. Maybe these can be much more bottom-up community-led initiatives, uh, where communities are taking the initiative to develop infrastructures that, that they need.
3: easy to think of the digital workforce as something transient that exists in the invisible ether of the internet, and there's certainly some truth in that characterisation. However, as David Bissell explains, this trend is already having real-world impacts on our built environment. And if the digital workforce is here to stay, this could mean significant restructuring of our physical infrastructures.
1: Evidence suggests that actually far from being irrelevant or redundant, CBDs, our city centres, are going to remain key sites of social, cultural and economic activity. And so for that reason, we are very likely to see a, uh, a return to the sorts of commuting flows that we did see, but it will they will look quite different
3: the train on platform 18 goes to Campbelltown via grand so maybe
1: people will be just going into the uh, city center maybe twice or three times a week rather than five days a week maybe there'll be uh, maybe there will be more freedom to travel uh, outside the main peaks so that means that what we see in in trains and buses and trams and on our streets will you know has the potential to to look really Uh, to look really quite different.
3: According to ABS data released earlier this year, one in seven Australians reported using public transport in March 2021, compared with nearly one in four who regularly reported use before COVID-19 restrictions began. These changing transport trends are heavily influenced by the digital work environment that's been necessary and not so much optional during the course of the pandemic. Andrew Butt says that the changing transport needs of a digital workforce could potentially reveal a lack of infrastructure investment in Australia.
0: We, we certainly see estimates and projections over the last while which have shown the use of commuter rail has decreased. Um, but I'd also argue that the, the deficits inherent in infrastructure in Australian cities have been so great over the last couple of decades that it's hard to see whether... The, the fundamental change will actually create problems for those transport systems, um, or whether they just actually will be at the sort of lens where they're not constantly congested and constantly dysfunctional. So, if we're working on those sort of 50 year deficits, and we've had a 20 year period of mass, um, popul- really significant population growth for Australia then we've still been, we've still been playing catch-up and it's very hard to read whether the, we'll get to the point where these systems or these networks become redundant um, rather than simply working to um, an appropriate level of use rather than being pressured with overuse the whole time.
3: Central business districts will likely change in response to the digital workforce. However, the thought that digital work will eradicate the need for CBDs altogether is not a widely held one. David Bissell sees the digital workforce as an opportunity for multi-hub style cities with reduced reliance on CBDs. People moving out
1: into uh, suburbs and into outer suburbs who don't commute uh, for the for five days a week into CBD, suddenly find that their sense of place, rather than maybe being dispersed between their house and the, the C- CBD location if they're working there, is much more localised, is much more localised to a particular uh, part of the city, a particular community. Uh, what we might see uh, more positively is, is a revival of community centres, so smaller hubs that become vibrant and, and exciting places to be. I guess the overall pattern there is that rather than all of the the focus of cities being on the on the CBD we'll see a much more kind of multi-hub city uh, which has certainly been one of the big um, stories in urban development over the last sort of 10 years or so anyway you know a lot of cities are realizing hang on we can't cram everything into the CBD and expect people to come into the CBD for their you know social cultural economic fixes uh, but we actually need to plan cities that are that are more dispersed. Perhaps this pandemic will will actually speed up some of those um, speed up some of those shifts in a really positive way.
3: Shanika Harath is a lecturer at the School of Built Environment at the University of Technology, Sydney. In my research, I look at
2: urban amenities and housing affordability and also urban disadvantage.
3: Shanika says that the increasing participation in digital work has revealed a need to reassess the scale and variety of infrastructure projects that cities will need in the future.
2: We need to have a look at the infrastructure provision. So in the last several years or so, our main focus has been on large infrastructure projects uh, accommodating or facilitating automobile use. But with these changes, we need to look at regional areas and smaller infrastructure projects that will accommodate, facilitate those people living in out areas
3: as well. A walk through the park or a bike ride to the local shops, these simple pleasures make a great difference to the well-being of remote workers. And access to these activities benefits not only those who work flexibly or from home, but the entire community. As Shanika explains, the increased popularity of digital work means we need to invest in these smaller-scale amenities as well as large-scale infrastructure.
2: Yes, so for example, uh, New South Wales Treasurer and the Federal Minister for Infrastructure have highlighted that not only the big mega-infrastructure projects, but also our cities need um, small parks, roundabouts, uh, cycling tracks, etc. This kind of small infrastructure, this is about balancing the needs in the inner city areas and the needs in the outer areas. My thinking around this is that we already have a lot of amenities in the cities but if the density is going to stagnate or reduce slightly into the future, I think the more more focus should be given to the regional and outer areas because number of those areas don't have um, sufficient access and we can ensure Spatial justice in cities.
1: Look, if we, if we focus on working from home, for example, because that's been the thing on, on a lot of people's minds uh, over the last 18 months or so, one of the big questions is, well, who can work from home and who decides who can work from home?
3: Not all work can be digital work or not every person can participate in the digital workforce in the same way and to the same extent. What are the consequences of that? What does that mean for our workforce?
1: So there's obviously many, many jobs that uh, that are still very much in person. There are many service jobs. Uh, our whole cities are reliant on networks of people involved in the distribution of, of goods and services, of logistics, of customer service. Uh, of healthcare, um, or uh, prior to um, prior to my my work on the gig economy, I looked at fly and fly-out workers. Mining still needs to happen on mining sites, and people in rural communities are still going to rely on travelling, peripatetic healthcare workers to come in and provide them with that face-to-face service. So there will be there will still be large sectors uh, of the population uh, that that have to move for work. Um, Maybe in the short term it means that those people that are work that are moving to work will have a more pleasant experience in moving. Maybe some of our gripes about commuting that we held prior to the pandemic have maybe dissipated a bit.
3: Much of Shanika Harath's research focuses on urban disadvantage. He fears that without proper consideration of inclusion in the digital workforce, what presents itself as an opportunity for accessibility to flexible work could actually make urban disadvantage worse. I think uh, the
2: problem here is that we have number of um, jobs in the retail, accommodation, hospitality, for example, that those jobs cannot be done remotely, obviously. So that is again linked to the distribution of uh, economic wealth in our cities as well so to explain that in bit more detail uh, if you look at sydney we have a lot of uh, wealthy families and households located in inner areas then we have some families with uh, low socioeconomic status low incomes higher unemployment etc in the middle and outer suburbs of our cities so those areas have a lot of uh, low income workers in those industries, such as retail, accommodation, and hospitality. So, when we have this situation where some of the industries, especially white color jobs, can be done using digital modes, but some other industries, such as retail, accommodation, and hospitality, with a lot of casual jobs, cannot be done using those modes. So, those uh, areas and those people living in those areas are disadvantaged. When you talk about disadvantage, the main issue associated with that is the concentration of disadvantage. In other words, those people with low incomes, unemployment, they tend to concentrate with other similar households or families so that's a problem because when the disadvantage is concentrated then that situation will continue intergenerationally so I think the problem here is that we see a lot of um, outer areas with uh, slow internet speed and other infrastructure that is needed to do digital work we cannot just say that okay digitalization of workplace is a great idea Let's do it because we need to provide the basic infrastructure and the facilities that are required. So these are legitimate concerns, legitimate problems that need to be resolved to provide a level playing field.
3: The digital workforce has the potential to significantly rework the way we design our transport, housing and access to amenities. But does this changing relationship between work, home, and our sense of place provide the opportunity to build more sustainable cities?
0: If we think about the mega metropolitan model, which is pretty dominant in Australia, which is you know a few large cities, it's one which has up until now been very dependent on sort of daily crisscrossing travel. Um, energy-dependent sort of housing forms. The growth in many regional cities has, has not necessarily kind of made that better because they've been sort of extended suburbia in some cases. But the changing nature of where work is and what work is, I think, offers some real opportunities to build the sorts of communities at the sort of scale that we think makes sense. So historically, of course, smaller cities that have kind of provided the services people want, in an accessible way, have of course been much more sustainable models than vast um, hundred-mile metropolitan sprawling cities.
3: This challenge, Shana Harath urges, has to be met with an egalitarian approach. I think the spatial justice
2: is also very important for our sustainability in the in the societal sense. So these are more important into the future, and this is a huge opportunity when we are spending more and more of our funding on infrastructure, we need to make sure that we provide this infrastructure, amenities, facilities in a more fair way so that most of the people in our cities will be able to benefit from that infrastructure and amenities.
3: The digital workforce presents us with an opportunity to rethink how we build our cities. David Bissell believes we may have a chance at creating more sustainable ones.
1: Well, sustainability is something that we we, we absolutely can 't shy away from. you know we, we know that climate change is is the biggest planetary challenge that we 've got to deal with at the moment, and we 've got to deal with it soon so in terms of uh, in terms of movement and our movement about cities, the potential to not move as much uh, for those that don 't have to, especially tra- travel by personal uh, car by by vehicle. Is one of those things that that might be a silver lining. If we learn to relinquish the car a little bit more than we uh, than we maybe thought we could, then this is going to have uh, potentially positive impacts on uh, on carbon emissions uh, from our cities.
3: Though he is wary to romanticise digital labour as a green revolution, like always, there is a cost.
1: But it's actually a much more complicated picture, of course, because we know that um, digital work requires energy, not just in terms of our houses, um, but also in terms of the data centres that we're reliant on when we undertake um, digital knowledge work from our homes. So even though it's not maybe showing up on our own bills, it's showing up on someone else's bill. And so we do we need this to be part of a general uh, and broader conversation about things like energy generation and energy consumption. How can we transition? How does this conversation also involve shifting energy production to greener cleaner forms.
3: And yet the great strength of a more popular and larger digital workforce is the chance it gives us to do something new, to disrupt the status quo and imagine the possibility of a different kind of future.
1: Very often we only become aware of our environmental impact, for example, when we disrupt it, when we force out of our habits and i think certainly with something like digital labor we've really felt a disruption to our everyday habits and we've been forced to develop new habits and and i think we're you know we're consciously reflecting on all sorts of aspects of that decision making that we maybe wouldn't do uh, otherwise and i think that's a really really positive thing
3: Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sophie Ellis. Thanks for your company.